I'm Luke Story. I'm Christine Loria. I'm Natasha Kingsbury. I'm Angie Check. I am Dr. Aaron Eugene McMorrow. I'm Ben Joseph Stewart. I'm Bliss Young. I am Dr. Jacob Egbert. I'm Kyle Kingsbury. I'm Lily Nichols. I'm Mark Groves. I'm Sarah Gustafson. I'm Jesse Golden. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein. I'm Marin Green. I'm Kelly Brogan, MD. Hi, this is Kimberly Ann Johnson. Je m'appelle Rick Safris, et c'est le podcast du Gidecolo Holistique. Hello, I'm Paul Check, and this is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome back, my podcast family out in the universe listening to great podcasts. I hope that you've found this podcast enjoyable. As you know, I bring on guests that are sort of less, I don't know, distinguished in the world, but doing great work. And my guest today is Natasha Kingsbury, the wife of Kyle Kingsbury, a former UFC fighter. Tasha and I have become good friends through my friendship with Kyle. She's also this incredible mother. She's an incredible artist going to put some of her artwork up on the YouTube video. If you don't know, we're doing video here at the Holistic OBGYN podcast, and you can find everything at belovedholistics.com slash podcast. You'll see all the show notes, all the sponsor information, lots of good stuff over there for you to get to know my guests and to really understand, I think, the complexities of some of these conversations. Natasha was already on the show once, and we talked about life as ceremony, we talked about polyamory, etc., but Tosh, having been a UFC ring girl, meaning she's a scantily clad woman walking around with the round number signs in between rounds at a UFC fight, it's actually how she and Kyle met, she comes from a background of really taking care of herself. And she's also very, very upfront about her difficulties with eating disorders. And I thought that this would be a really, really great podcast, considering I've had people like Rachel Veratimos and... Jade Bryce and many others who have expressed concerns around how women are indoctrinated into a society or an industry and expected to maintain a certain waist size or breast size or all around sort of childlike uh, tone of the abdomen. And it doesn't really necessarily reflect what a woman is. And, and Tasha struggled with this for a lot of her life. Tosh remains gorgeous. She remains very actively exercising and taking care of her health. But it comes with the cost of constantly having this shadow of a history of bulimia and anorexia. So knowing Tosh and knowing just what a force of nature she is, it was also very refreshing for her to feel so agreeable to talk about these things. And we've talked about these eating disorders and whatnot in, you know, in private. And I asked her, would you like to talk about this publicly? She's like, absolutely. If it can help anybody to relate to somebody like me, that would be a great use of her experience. So she graciously agreed to come back on the podcast, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. And one thing I do want to comment on is eating disorders are largely considered a women's issue. But I think every man out there who's spending two to three hours per day in the gym trying to get cut, trying to get their striated muscles, and that's the only focus they have at the expense of their relationships, their family, perhaps even their business, their sleep, etc. If you're doing that only for the goal of being able to take awesome photos of your abs with your shirt pulled up to the nipple line, you have an eating disorder. There's a body dysmorphia that pervades every aspect of our society. So I also want to highlight that, that this is not just a conversation with a woman for women. This is a conversation for anybody 
who has a deranged relationship with their body and with food in general. So you're going to love this conversation if, if any of that rings true for you. Of course, like every episode here, we have to have sponsors. The sponsors keep us going. It's expensive to have a podcast. I think it's a very high quality podcast and I'm fortunate enough to have companies, brands that are completely in alignment with my values, brands that I use myself that I would recommend to my sister, to my mother, to my wife, to my little girls when they grow up someday. The first of these companies that has made this episode possible is none other than Fullwell Fertility, who makes the hands down best prenatal vitamin on the market. Get a copy of Lily Nichols' book, Real Food for Pregnancy. Get a copy of Sarah Thompson's book. She's a licensed acupuncturist. Send me a copy of her book, Functional Maternity, and you're going to understand that there is quite a bit that you can do for yourself, whether you're in pregnancy, you're trying to conceive, you're postpartum, you're menopausal, et cetera. And, and we try to do that with a healthy diet the best we can. When you're pregnant, you need extra nutrition because our food simply does not have the nutrient content that it did 100 years ago. So that's due to depleted soils, poor agricultural practices, all the other things that you and I hold near and dear. So if you're pregnant, or you're on your fertility journey, or even postpartum, why not have a little bit of insurance through a really, really high quality prenatal vitamin? And Fullwell, like I said, compare the nutrition label of Fullwell's vitamin to virtually anyone on the market, and you're going to see that this is a totally different monster. So fullwellfertility.com, you can use code BELOVED10 to save 10%. While you're there, pick up some fish oil, pick up a men's virility vitamin. If your partner is nutrient depleted, if you guys are struggling with fertility, let's get that sperm count motility up. They also have a Nourish Nerves Tonic, which I love taking a little dropper full in the mouth right before bed. Helps me ease into sleep, balance out the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems. Fullwellfertility.com. Use code BELOVED10. You'll save 10%. This episode is also made possible by Organifi. My man, Drew Canoli at Organifi, has put together one of the most, I don't know, lifestyle conscious public faces of any company I think out there. Drew stands by the principles and values that he's put into building a product lineup at Organifi that is loaded with nutrition. They've got their green juice. They've got their red juice. I usually take the green juice in the morning, the red juice in the afternoon, and then I'll finish the evening off with their gold latte, which is rich in turmeric, antioxidant-rich turmeric, including curcumin. It's got functional mushrooms in it. And seasonally, they've got a couple different varieties. Right now, at the time of this podcast being released, you're at the tail end of their pumpkin spice gold latte, which is all of the stuff you find in their regular gold latte, but with nutmeg, clove, allspice, all of those seasonal flavors added. In Drew's words, it's like a marshmallow had a baby with autumn, and it is so delicious. I blend it up with a scoop of whole fat organic coconut milk and some hot water, and that's my evening beverage. If you want to try any of these products, I can't recommend Drew's product lineup enough. Go to Organifi.com slash Beloved. You'll save 20%. For a limited time, they're offering an additional discount using my code. So head over to Organifi.com slash Beloved or use code Beloved, and you will save 20%. Pick up all of the things I mentioned, and then you know browse around. They've got an immunity blend. They've got a focus blend. Amazing, amazing stuff. This episode's also brought to you by Bioptimizers. Bioptimizers, I have a pile of their supplements here because we use them regularly. We just had a burrito date last, uh, not last night, the night before. And we always take two capsules of their Masszymes and two capsules of their Blood Sugar Breakthrough, which helps to digest that heavy load of food. And, you know, we treat ourselves once in a while. When you treat yourself, you don't want to suffer the GI or other consequences of having a big carb-heavy meal. 
So you take those, you take the blood sugar breakthrough, it gets your blood sugars down faster than you would otherwise. I'm currently working on a natural fertility course for the Czech Institute, and I just wrote an entire chapter on insulin resistance and diabetes. And when your blood sugars are persistently elevated for prolonged periods of time due to either a lack of insulin or poor, let's say, sensitivity to insulin, sugar becomes very, very toxic in the body. So by taking these different supplements, you can lower those blood sugars and ensure that you're not going to do any damage in the body due to persistently elevated blood sugars, also known as diabetes. So Bioptimizers has a wide variety of products, all of which I take. Their magnesium breakthrough is great for sleep. If you're pregnant, you know, looking to conceive, you have a history of hypertension or preeclampsia and prior pregnancy, magnesium has been clinically demonstrated to decrease the likelihood of that happening again. So there's a variety of reasons that I recommend these supplements, and I don't recommend supplements easily. I don't like taking them. And if you're like me, you want to do just the bare minimum, but sometimes we need a little extra boost, just like with that prenatal vitamin. So if you want to try out any of Bioptimizer's stuff, go to bioptimizers.com slash holistic OBGYN or use code beloved at Bioptimizers and you'll save 10% for a short period of time. In fact, right now, until the 29th of November, you'll save actually some extra. I think it's a 25% discount. So don't miss the opportunity to go and stack up and supply your medicine cabinet with, I recommend Masszymes, Pethrone, which is a powerful probiotic, blood sugar breakthrough, get some magnesium breakthrough, and then peruse the store. They've got this new collagen product called Collagenius. I put a scoop in my coffee every day and bam, get the collagen. You get a bunch of additional functional mushrooms. Get your brain working on all cylinders before the long workday. Again, it's bioptimizers.com slash holistic or use code BELOVED and you'll save 10%, although for a limited time, it's 25% on anything that Bioptimizers makes. All right, we've got one more company that has made this possible. I'll tell you about that at our little break. That, of course, is BirthFit. So excited to have them on as a podcast sponsor. I've talked enough. I try to keep this below 10 minutes, these intros, and I'm at 10.30. So without further ado, my dear friend, mother, the snow leopard herself, Natasha Kingsbury. Tosh, hi. <laughs> Dr. Dr. Uncle, Uncle Nathan, Nathan Riley. Riley. For those out there who don't know, <laughs> Tosh and I have become very good friends. I mean, so much so that I've spent a week plus in your house and have been like co-parenting with you <laughs> during times when Kyle's mm-hmm. away and I'm trying to get work done. <laughs> and something that I wanted to share with you, Tosh, is of course, I was thinking about you last night because I was thinking about the interview and I had some of your chocolate mousse, your keto mousse. and. I wish there was a way for people to try this because you have given me the recipe and I have sworn to secrecy. It's like there's a covenant. (laughs) But given what we're going to be talking about today, there is no lack of richness in your household from an eating standpoint. So if there was a way for somebody to try your mousse, given that they can't really make it themselves, like maybe they'll just have to come over here sometime to Kentucky and try it. But I was eating that and I was like, gosh, we're going to be talking (laughs) about eating disorders. And I don't know if anybody could really fully appreciate how delicious your household is. I mean, you're also an amazing cook, mm. so so I'll, I'll give you kudos where, where it's Thank due. Thank you. <laughs> but there is so much richness in the type of food you make and whatnot. So let's get into some eating disorder stuff. 
But I wanted to preface this with like, this is not a conversation of, around necessarily restricting, not indulging. I mean, there's so much indulgence in each of our lives and we are both simultaneously very thoughtful about body dysmorphia. I've experienced that myself and I know that you've told me your story. Mm -hmm. So let's start there. Maybe first off, for people who don't know you, what do they need to know about Tosh Kingsbury? <laughs> God, if they have listened to your podcast for a long time, they probably already heard me talk about me. You're also in the intro. Your voice is one of the intro voices in the Welcome to the Holistic of a Joint podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. I think I'm like at yeah, the end or something. Yeah. Nathan Riley yeah. podcast. Save the best for last. At a practice, I don't know. Mama, 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 mama. Get my voice. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I am married to Kyle Kingsbury, which anyone that loves podcasting and in this community tend to know him. I am the one that holds down the fort here with the kiddos. I'm a mom of two. I am an artist. I am a homeschooling, unschooling mom. So that really is all consuming of my life right now. I have a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. And they are a lot. Big personalities. <laughs> like there's a first changes that happen at two. And then there's like yeah. another big shift yeah. at seven. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> we didn't even plan this out. But man, we've got two really big yeah. shifts happening yeah. at the same yeah. time. So that's my life right now. And I love it. You know, I can fantasize about having all the time in the world to do the things I want. But I'm also loving that I get to have this time yeah. with them. I don't really know what else to say about myself to introduce myself. <laughs> You're a dynamo. What I'll do is I'll pop up a picture of some of the art that you've made. You made a piece of art for our friend Paul Check, and like you are a really, really, really talented artist. I think that might even be something that you're like a new title that you're maybe having to wear, but it goes without saying that when you see what you're able to put onto a canvas, it's like, what? Like, how did you do that? Oh, you were here while I was working on that. Uh, yeah, I very was early on. on that, right? Yeah, okay. you were yeah. working on the dolphins when I was there and some of the landscaping. But okay. uh, man, to be able to paint human flesh and all these animals and make water look, give it texture and everything, like you really do have a wide range of talents. So if we've talked about your cooking. You're an incredible parent. You're this like history of super athletic. And I would say you probably still are, but you've gone through so many life changes. Why don't we start in telling the story of your relationship with food and exercise and, you know, body image. Kind of the origin story of yeah, the eating let's start disorder, there. how that yeah. came about. Yeah. Well, I grew up on a farm and I grew up pretty poor. We didn't do sports and things like that when we were young. We were also homeschooled, but there were a lot of us and we had the farm. So we were always outside, always active kids. My mom was always really mindful about like, what we ate, but it was still poor <laughs> food. It wasn't organic. It was, you know, Crisco and margarine. And she just didn't know. Where was that, Tosh? Where was your hometown? Oh, Las oh, Vegas, Vegas, Nevada. So we were like outskirts of town. It wasn't like, you know, middle of the city farm. From like age one to nine, we were in the inner city part. Then we moved when my mom remarried. So yeah, my mom was a runner. So I remember her waking up and going running. And then I was best friends with my mom's best friend's daughter. And they had gone to like high school and all these things together. And I remember as I grew up, 
her mom and dad, like my mom went to homecoming with her uncle and her mom went to prom, you know, with my dad. It was just a bunch of church <laughs> kids that were all friends. But I remember her parents telling me like how great of a runner my mom was, that she was like the best in Nevada. And she was one of the first women to hold like a cross country oh, state That's championship title. Yeah. And so there was this like, wow, mom's an amazing runner. And I had such a desire to connect with my mom. Like she was a great mom, but she had a lot of children and a lot of responsibilities. And, you know, knowing what I know now as a mom, I can be like, oh yeah, it makes sense that all of us probably felt unloved because we all had different love languages. And that's a lot of people that you have to, in order to raise a child, you got to make sure they're full in all the love languages. And she did her best. And I also had heard that my real dad had killed himself. We had talked about this when I was about two years old and they also knew my dad. And so they would always, oh, your dad was, you know, really fast. He was like a sprinter and he was super athletic. And so I just had these, you know, stories of my parents being great athletes. And I had two older sisters who went to public high school before me and they tried like all the different things. Oh, I want to be a tennis player. I want to do track, but they never like stuck Mm. with anything. But around eighth grade, I would start to ask my mom if I could go run with her in the mornings. And I remember being like a mile in and being like, I can't go any further. This is too far. (laughs) I I saw this video on TikTok (laughs) of a little girl running her first mile and the parents were there cheering her on. It was like a mile run amongst a bunch of like seven and under kids. And she was like, she ran past and was like, I hate this. I hate this. And they were like, you're doing great, baby. (laughs) (laughs) That's a long way for a kid. A mile is a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. But then like I kept doing it and really loved it and really wanted to race. I wanted to be like my mom. And so I decided to go to public high school as well, basically mostly for the reason of running. I wanted to be on a team and, you know, I really didn't care about like the social part of school (laughs) at all. And so went to high school, joined the team, did horrible my first year. I remember getting lapped at state. Oh my gosh, really? On the track, lapped. You're like, why am I swearing? <laughs> I just stopped. You know, but, but it was like stars in my eyes as I'm being lapped. Like, oh my gosh, like she's amazing. And that was my first time seeing an anorexic person. Like she was very, very, like mm. so skinny. I've always been like very athletic build. I've always had a big old booty. Even when I was in high school, like I just, like boys would come and I was so Christian and like, <laughs> like embarrassed if guys were like, damn, you got a big booty. And I'd be like, oh, you I had hate all my the big muscles you know, like, in the right like place. The sin. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm like, yes, thank, thank you, you for my delicious big <laughs> booty. <are> in. <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of ignited this thing in me because I really wanted to be a great runner. And all the girls that were, you know, the top athletes were really thin. And so it didn't start then, but there was like a little seed that was planted and I got better and better each season, you know, cross country track, but I just wasn't quite mm. there. And I was still being beat by all the really thin, thin, thin girls. And then meanwhile, at home, there was a lot of chaos and, you know, like having lost my dad to suicide and then my first stepdad sexually abused Mm. us 
or me, I can't speak for my sisters, but me from age like four to nine. So there was like all that stuff that was kind of dealt with. Like I remember going to counseling and things. I hated it. So my mom didn't continue to make us go. But I wasn't like acting out. I wasn't doing anything that was like, oh, you need therapy. Like I was very happy. And like even my best friends at that time will say like, I never knew that that had happened. Mm. Like you never would have guessed. But, you know, knowing what I know now, all of this stuff was coming up with stuff that wasn't dealt with. And then my mom, obviously, when that dad went to jail, she remarried again. And then that stepdad brought in a lot of chaos and just tension Mm. in the home. He was really angry, would break things and slam doors and leave and always yelling at my mom. And so there was this whole new aspect. But I also still was like, I want a relationship with you. I want a dad. And, you know, so there was like all this stuff. And then when my mom decided to divorce him when I was 16 and then was already starting to talk to my personal trainer that she had, (laughs) just airing my mom's dirty laundry, but I love my mom and I, you know, I get it. But she had hired a personal trainer for me my junior year because I was doing well and I really wanted to get a scholarship and that was the only way I was going to go to college. But then she divorced my stepdad and I saw something that seemed a little too romantic between her and my personal trainer. And I was just angry. I just became super angry. Like 16. 16. Okay. And so I just dove headfirst into my running and my studies and it just became everything to me. And, you know, waking up in the morning before school starts and being on my stationary bike, riding, getting in miles and reading my book while I'm, you know, getting in Mm. all these miles. And then the food restriction, you know, then I started being like, I can't eat that food that she would make. And it was like, I'm going to eat soy cheese and, you know, more vegetables and, you know, no sugar. And there were a lot of really healthy things that I had decided, like cutting sugar was a great thing. But soy cheese, <laughs> not so good. <laughs> were you like kind of fat? You and I are almost exactly the same age. Were you also, I mean, I remember when I was 16, 17, I was like fat free as well. Like you'd get fat free uh-huh. cheese or fat free yep. lean meats, you know, even if they were mm-hmm. cold cut crappy deli meat. I can't yeah, believe it's exactly, not better. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Wow. So it very quickly spiraled and then I was doing really well. But then I went to a championship race in California. And again, the girl that won was just bone skinny. And I remember, I'll never forget walking after finishing that race. And I was walking for like a cool down crying because I was so disappointed in myself and how I had raced and wanting to do really good. And I remember, I'll never forget it. It was kind of cold, wet. And I was just in my head like, I'm not freaking eating anymore. I'm not Mm. eating anymore. Like I have to lose weight. I have to, you know, so it literally started. I remember when it started and when the next day came and it was like just crazy amounts of food restriction. I still ate, but you can't call that eating when you're training as much as I was. You know, I would pour like a fourth of a cup of grape nuts in a bowl and have soy milk and a little bit of honey. And I would eat that for breakfast and then I would not allow myself to eat again until like fifth period. And I would have like a little bagel 
with a little bit of peanut butter and jelly. And then I would go to training, go to practice, eat an apple, and then maybe eat dinner. Right, right. And if I ate dinner, it was like the tiniest amount. And naturally, my mom noticed. And then she actually had shared stories about herself as a 16-year-old who had anorexia. So she was like, I know what's happening here. And instead of me being like, oh, mom, you know, like we're having this bonding moment. It was like, it just was like a fuck you. You know, you can't Mm. control this. I'm in charge of this because I was so mad at her for all the reasons that I had at the time. And I got, I think I was like 91, 92 pounds at like five feet, which it wasn't like you see some women and they're like bone, bone, bone skinny. I was it was really miserable. Like I see pictures. I didn't throw anything away. I kept all the pictures that I have of that time Mm, because it's mm -hmm. a great Mm. reminder. It was a huge, you know, experience, life lesson and stuff that I'm really proud and really like all the things I've experienced in my life. This is just another thing that I have the opportunity to share with other people. And I've had experience with it. I know what it feels like to if you feel that pain of hunger, yeah. that's a good thing. It's a good thing if you can't sleep at night because you're so hungry. And, you know, if you eat a tiny little bit amount, a little tiny little bit of food and you step on the scale and it didn't go up at all, you're like, okay, oh. okay, that was the right amount. But if it did go up at all, it's like, oh my gosh, and you don't eat for however long. It's miserable. <laughs> it is a miserable way to be. I imagine given that sparkle that you described when you watched this other young lady blow by you on the track and lap you. I used to be, you know, I was like into Ironman distance triathlon. And when somebody passes you, there is no greater incentive. You can do anything when you know that you can catch that person if you just make these changes. It can be such an incredible motivator for people like me and you. And after you made those changes, you also then saw a reciprocal improvement in your sport, right? So it was like this positive feedback loop that you were getting from your performance, despite whatever other incentives you might have now to take care of yourself. So Mm -hmm. what was like the height of your running career in high school? And then how did that translate into college? So anorexia was the thing my junior year. And I tanked Mm. at state. I did horrible and it was like, this is not working for me. (laughs) Like I cannot run. I was emotional all the time, always crying, always miserable. It was Mm. just miserable. And so I finally was open to seeing a counselor about it and trying to get healthy. So that summer I had started eating normally again. I didn't go crazy, but I started eating in a healthy manner, healthy amount, and then was able to train like a rock star that summer before my senior year. And then I was like undefeated my senior year in whether I traveled to California, like I did amazing. Just my body was like, oh, food, (laughs) like we can do this. Your posterior chain was like, like in Mario when you eat the mushroom. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But there were obviously, there were still a lot of, it was still there. It was still very alive, you know, from the 
feeling miserable if I ate too much or just, you know, looking in the mirror because you're so used to seeing yourself super skinny. So like the body dysmorphia was very much still there, but my performance was where I wanted it to be. So it was like, Mm. that's, you know, so I ended up getting a full ride running an academic scholarship to Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff. (laughs) (laughs) That's like Flagstaff is where like every single triathlete that I ever knew, if they wanted to level up, they went to Flagstaff and they were. A lot of Olympians trained there. Big training facilities and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Big training. Yep. High Mm. altitude it is. And then, you know, it's got all four seasons, but it's nothing like not crazy hot summers and not freezing cold winters. You get snow. Train year round. It was really nice. Yeah. Yeah. This little mountain oasis in the middle of Arizona. So get to college and I had still stayed in touch with my third dad, my second stepdad, the angry one. And just because he'd been my dad kind of for like nine years, he was our dad in the house. And I get to school and you have, you know, these teammates who you know, a lot of runners, they'll just eat everything. Mm -hmm. They can eat everything, train well, run well, do all these things. But I had had such a, it wasn't long ago that I'd been so restrictive of my diet and then was still, you know, restrictive, but not like I was healthy, but there was still eating issues there. And so I have this team that we would all go out and eat together at the cafeteria. And, you know, I just started eating what everybody else was eating and very was adding on those freshmen, Mm. you know, 15s. And I remember getting injured, not like a huge injury, but just like a little injury to where I had to like take time off and just do like pool workouts, which I think a lot of people (laughs) love pool workouts. I hate pool workouts. I don't like them at all. I want to run. I just want to run. And not on a treadmill either. (laughs) Not slow motion in a six-foot pool. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I'm like, put me on a trail. I'm gone for like hours. Put me on a treadmill. I'm like, I'm out after like half a mile. I can't do this. So I get injured. I'm eating crappy food. And I go back to Vegas to visit my family. And I see my stepdad. And he was like super thin and lost all this weight. And I was like, whoa are you even working out? Like, how did you lose all this weight? And he's like, oh, you know, sometimes if I overeat, I just make myself puke up some of it. And then, you know, then I'm good. And I have managed to keep my weight. It was like advertisement for bulimia (laughs) (laughs) from my stepdad. And I remember thinking, oh gosh, no, that's not what I'm into at all. Like, I'm not into that. But, you know, seed planted. And so I go back to school and I remember coming home after gorging myself of all this nonsense food and just feeling that like shame and, you know, hatred Mm. for myself. And that thought popped in my head, well, I could try that, you know, like just a little bit at least then I could maintain and I won't do it all the time. You go through all the things and, you know, this is, you know, I'll only do it this one time and then I'll be better tomorrow. I won't overeat tomorrow. And so I remember going in the bathroom and it was really hard to do at first, you know, like your body's so resistant to it. You're like, no. And then there's a poster in the stall that's like suffering from bulimia. And it was like this whole, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I'm not bulimic. I just this one time I'm going to try this. And so I did. And it was like this instant euphoria, this instant feeling of like, 
oh, it's gone. All that food is out, you know? Like, it felt so good. But I still was like, I'm not going to be that person. You know, I'm just going to be better about my eating. Then you go to a party or you do something because my unhealthy relationship with food, it was like, and then I couldn't not overeat. And then it also became, well, I can overeat because I can just throw it up later. So I can really just eat whatever I want, shame, yeah. guilt-free, yeah. and then I, you know, get rid of it. I puke it up. Can we pause just for a second, Tosh? You use the word euphoria, which is a really powerful sort of personal experience. You know, euphoria, ecstasy. I mean, these are the types of places that many of us very hedonistically are constantly chasing that. So to say that having regurgitated some food was euphoric tells me that there is a very, very powerful experience for a person. I know that I'm sounding like, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. But when people think and don't have a connection with bulimia, they're like, how could a person do that? You are saying it was a euphoric experience, despite the maybe unpleasant like logistical nature and maybe even the taste. There was a euphoria that, ah, I've gotten some of that out of my system. And that in and of itself must have become sort of like a hardwired tendency to do it because now you're also experiencing a euphoria. It's not just, I hope I look good in the mirror later. Immediately afterwards, you actually get a little bit of a high. Is that right? Wow. Mm -hmm. I never really thought of that. Yeah. Not necessarily from like puking itself, but more just the instant relief. It's like the shame because you feel so much shame and self-hatred and loathing and disappointment and disgust and all the things you feel from overeating when you have an eating disorder. And because Kyle overeats and he feels, you know, when he overeats, he doesn't feel remorse at all. He also takes 15 seconds to eat 1,500 calories. I've seen the guy eat. He's like, where did your food go? (laughs) Yeah, it's he, he's just like inhaling it. Bear eats like him too, and I'm like, no, no, I'm gonna slow down. Don't eat like your father. We love you, Kyle. We love you. We mean no harm. <laughs> he's gotten better. He's gotten better because I'm constantly like, can you slow down like a little bit? We haven't even gone around and said our highs and lows of right. the day. Like, was in the middle of his blessing, yeah. like washing dishes. <laughs> so yeah, because it's all those things you feel; those are gone, and then you're like. You know, your stomach isn't protruding. It's just like the euphoria is from the release of the thing that makes you feel shame, overeating and all that. But it became the thing that I just knew. Like it got so bad, Nathan, that I was doing that after every meal at one point. And when it gets to that level, if I go and I'm overeat because I'm like, I'm just going to go puke it up, but then kind of plans change or someone shows up and they're like, hey, how's it going? And you're like, damn it. Like now I'm stuck here talking to you. I can't sneak off and be like, like in the bathroom. Like if I got stuck in a situation where I wasn't able to in a certain amount of time after and you're just like, oh my gosh, my body is now like digesting this and it's like <laughs> taking in all the fat and the sugar and you're just like in your head. And then I would be super angry and sad and depressed and all that, you know, like it was a vicious, vicious few years like that where it was almost every meal if I could. My running sucked in college. I was actually just talking about this with Leah the other day, how I was there. I left, I quit my junior year. My running 
it never improved. The bulimia literally just took over my life and my energy and I couldn't perform well. We had a coach change. So the coach I went for left and a new coach came in, but it was like the first time that I was having like flashbacks of the molestation that had happened as a child because I would sit at tables and be hanging out with teammates. And I was like the virgin, good little Christian girl who was incredibly naive and knew nothing about anything. And they loved it because they would just like crack jokes or like, do you even know what that is or what that means? And a lot of stuff I didn't know because I wasn't even allowed to sit in at sex ed in high school. Not that I missed (laughs) really, you know, anything. So it's probably better this way. (laughs) But, you know, then they would proceed to like tell me about things. And then it was like bringing up memories from the abuse that I had gone through where it was like, oh, oh, that's what that was. So I was having all of these things coming up from my abuse and I was doing the bulimia thing. I wasn't performing and I was the runner. I was known as the runner. So anytime I'd visit home or anything and people like, oh, you know, how's the running? And it was like just this constant, that was where my worth was resting, was with me performing as a runner. And then somebody very close to me died, like a father figure man in my life that was like, huge actually in the shift of my mind. He was a big part of kind of cutting the cord with my mom, not like cutting, he didn't never said that, but just kind of bringing in other perspectives that were not hers, just a lot more open-minded. And he was not a Christian, but he was a very kind person and he was a very good person. And then there was also two teammates I had, Chris and Johanna, who I hung out with all the time and same thing, like not Christian. She was like, I don't believe in anything, but they were such good people. And I remember thinking like, I don't see God like them going to hell because I believed in heaven and hell and all that. I can't believe that God would send these people to hell just because they don't believe in him. Like these are good, kind people. So he died And so there was all these things. And then I got in a horrible car accident and rolled my car. I fell asleep driving, rolled my car and had a horrible concussion. And I didn't know anything about concussions. No one, like even, I didn't go to the hospital or anything. But knowing what I know now, I'm probably going to be saying that a lot (laughs) in this podcast. But I spiraled, basically. That's when I decided I'm not doing this anymore. I don't want to run anymore. I don't even want to do school. I don't know what I'm going to school for. I wanted to go for art. And my mom convinced me not to because she's like, you'll never make money. This is a huge opportunity. You have school paid for. Be a nurse. Do forestry. Be a teacher. You know, like, and so I was like, okay, and trying all these things. But I didn't want to do any of those things. And all the while, all through all this, the bulimia is still going. So I left and did like a missionary program up in Mammoth, California for a year. Wasn't vibing with their (laughs) style. (laughs) Like I like to do in the like helping people like we helped at Hurricane Katrina. But so then I left there and then I went and lived in Hawaii for a year with my sister. And through all of this, nobody knew that I was struggling with bulimia. I hit it very well. I wanted 
to not do it anymore. I just didn't know how, but I also didn't want, because it's like, I knew if I told somebody that I had an issue, that I had a problem, that I was bulimic, that then the opportunity to puke, if I felt like I wanted to, then I would be like, someone's going to be listening by the door. (laughs) Like someone's going to know what I'm doing, you know? And I didn't, so I wasn't quite ready for that kind of accountability because in reality, I didn't want to stop. And flash forward, you know, was modeling, was doing all the things, was the ring girl for UFC, all that, met Kyle. I actually want to talk about that part of your life for just a second because now you're in the public lens. Now you're holding a sign above your head, exposing all of your vulnerable places. You're in a very small outfit and you're around these guys who are cutting weight. Let's pause for a very, very brief break. Mm -hmm. And then let's actually, if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about that part of your life, I think that would actually be really helpful. Okay, if you haven't heard about BirthFit yet, you've got to check out what BirthFit's got going on. BirthFit is a pregnancy and postpartum-specific lifestyle program. There's very, very few of these out there. Everybody out there thinks they know how to coach women, but you deserve a pregnancy and postpartum-specific lifestyle and exercise training program. And (laughs) you don't have to look any further. This is quite a bit of what I do in my own practice, but fortunately, there are companies like BirthFit out there where I can offload some of the burden in order to get people as healthy as possible from conception all the way through postpartum and beyond. BirthFit essentially provides coaching around a variety of things. They do nervous system supported general strength and conditioning. They do human movement foundations. They train you in core and pelvic floor basics. This is a comprehensive prenatal training program. And they also have an online community called their B community, which is basically a gathering of women by women for women where you can share insights, get questions, answers. A couple times a month, they'll have renowned experts in the field providing webinars to all B community members. And as a listener of the podcast, you can join the B community for your first month free. After that, it's $25.99 per month, a hell of a low price for what BirthFit offers. If you want to take advantage of this opportunity, and of course, you know, if you're the type that embraces cyclical strength and conditioning before, during, and after birth, this is for you. Go to birthfit.com, use code BELOVED at checkout. You'll get your first month free at the B community. So stoked to have them as a part of the team. I'm wearing a beanie with BirthFit emblazoned on the front proudly right now as I read this. So again, birthfit.com, use code BELOVED. You'll get your first month in the B community free. Thank you, BirthFit. All right, let's get back to my awesome conversation here with Tosh Kingsbury. All right. So we're back. Tosh, what I wanted to start back up in was around the time when you were modeling, you're a UFC ring girl, you're around all these athletes, these incredible athletes like Mr. Kingsboo himself, who were cutting weight. You know, there's a degree of body dysmorphia and this sort of, I don't know, obsession, not just with physique, but with performance based on calories in, calories out. I mean, it was really twisted. I remember you know, I had a lot of family members who were wrestlers. One kid was like a multi-time national champion. And I remember he just had this incredible obsession with not eating when he was getting close to his fights and whatnot. So let's talk about that period of time. And I also want to acknowledge if you're modeling, if you guys don't know what Tosh looks like, go to Living with the Kingsburys and you'll see she has this incredible head of hair. You've got incredible teeth. (laughs) Your skin is perfect. 
Did any of those little things change while you were growing up through high school into college into your 20s? Did you notice some of those things changing as well, not just the midline, the waist? Yeah, big time. So in high school, I was five feet. And then when I left college, I was still five feet. That makes sense, <laughs> I right? was four six. It was a really weird thing. Uh. <laughs> but I didn't run for like four years. I didn't run and basically didn't really work out at all. Living in Hawaii was like the first time I kind of started doing some like personal mm. healing work. Like I wrote the letter out to each father, writing like what I, you know, yeah. would say. But it's very healing to say all of those things, to be angry, to whatever. And I remember in that, after like not running for that long, I was having some kind of, oh, when we were traveling for Katrina, Hurricane Katrina, we had to go get like a physical done. And she's like, oh, you're five, two and a half. And I was like, five, two and a half. Like I grew Whoa. in my early 20s, I grew two and a half inches. So, and I also was like a full figured girl. Like I had natural D's which I don't have anymore. <laughs> Thanks, babies. <laughs> I actually prefer smaller. I like to be a part of the itty bitty titty committee. I prefer it because I'm just more, I can do yoga yeah, and run yeah. and not have to like hold myself. But My anyways. wife still has D's. I think they're probably bigger than D's, but she was like a 32 D her whole life. And every time she sees a dress on a mannequin or whatever, she's like, oh, like if only I didn't have these perfect breasts, but you know, the grass is always <laughs> greener. <laughs> I'm not mad. Hey, I really enjoyed those D's. Like they were great. I was also very unhealthy. So like in my modeling years, you know, I was billboard model. I was a go-go dancer and calendars, you know, I did all sorts of stuff. And through all of that, at that point, I was not every meal but it was anytime I mm. overate, mm -hmm. I would do mm -hmm. it. So it was still yeah. often. But I did start working out again at that time. So there was also that like, when you exercise, there's just this natural inclination to like want to yeah. eat healthier yeah. and not eat so junk food and candy. Start with exercise, everybody. If you're going to start anywhere, sleep and exercise and everything else will fall into place because you'll want to do these other things. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. want to because you're already doing yeah. the hardest thing, which is mm -hmm. exercising. Mm -hmm. So I just started developing and that's in a big part of why I ended up getting a lot of the started modeling and was even approached to model was because I did have a woman's beautiful, sexy mm -hmm. body. I remember when I was working at the Playboy Club and I was just a hostess bunny. My job was just to walk around and like, oh, and schmooze <laughs> with the guests and talk and sit at the VIP tables and make sure they're having fun. Oh, we're talking. And I'm really good at that. I yeah, like talking are. to people. You're so very it was charming. not a hard job. <laughs> Thank you. But I remember there was this group of guys that came in and I went over and I was talking to them. I'm like, oh, where are you guys from? They're like, oh, we're actually from here. And I'm like, oh, like they were like my age. I'm like, oh, well, high school. They're like, such and such high school. And one's like, oh, Cimarron. I was like, I went to Cimarron. Like, what year did you graduate? He's like, 2003. I'm like, me too. And he's like, wait, what's your name? And I was like, Natasha Wicks. And he's like, no, the runner? Because I was like always on the announcements because I was doing so great and running in high school. And, you know, we were like joking about something. He was like, man, I feel stupid that I never hit on you in high school. I'm like, well, I looked very different, you know, very skinny runner, never wore makeup, just sweatsuits and all that. But so that's just a little example of like my yeah. blossoming into 
my womanly body, which was still very sure. hard though. There were still times that I was like, ah, I'm, you know, cause in that industry, it is very all about your body and, you know, how small is your waist and your legs. And at that time it was more popular to be on the skinny side still, not anorexic skinny, but strong not was a not sexy and necessarily then. How old no, were you? Late twenties, no. you said? Like twenty six. Oh, okay. Still pretty young. Twenty five, yeah. twenty six. Probably twenty five actually, yeah. And being around the athletes when I was working for the UFC, that really wasn't a thing that crossed my mind. I was already like running a lot more at that point and feeling fit and strong myself. But there was that feeling like the bulimia situation did become a little bit more ignited during that time because I was in the spotlight. I was yeah. on TV. When you're walking around the ring, those lights are very unforgiving. You know, any little dimple, anything just yeah. it shows. So it became a little bit mm. inflamed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the bulimia came it became inflamed in that time. And then, you know, move forward a little bit towards when I met Kyle, I was still doing that. We started dating. I moved in with him. And for even the first year and a half of us being together, he had no clue that Sneaking I would do away that. Sneaking away to the restaurant. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until I did ayahuasca. And I remember in my ceremony, it was very clear, you know, like it was like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, you know, like take mm. it, remove it from me. Like just... I want to wake up and it not be an issue, not have to think about it. It'll never be something. And the very strong message was like, you have to tell him. Mm. You have to tell him. You have to have somebody who can help keep you accountable. And telling somebody, acknowledging the thing, the disgusting, shameful thing, you know, to me it was like, whatever, it's not, you know, disgusting. But like sharing that with somebody was like, I'm disgusting. Mm. I puke my food up. I overeat. Because I remember him always being like, damn, you can eat a lot. And I'm like, I just was like, yeah, I'm a runner. You know, like I just yeah. like passed it off as and, whatever. And you become so adept at this as well. Like it wasn't like oh, somebody might be discovering. You just brush it off and keep going about. Tosh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was really good at hiding it and I had it down so fast where it wasn't this long process in the bathroom. My body just knew exactly what to do. Wow. And I am so happy that my teeth are still healthy because that's like, what, nine years? Nine years of bulimia. Nine years of bulimia. Wow. And for a while there, it was like every meal. So, I mean, I was always like, like brushing my teeth yeah. like crazy and I would floss every after, you know, every brush. So like I was really big on that. I never like had hair thinning, but it was all emotional. It was the emotional roller coaster of it, the shame, the laying in bed at night and just being like, tomorrow, tomorrow I'll do better. Or thinking back at the food that I ate, if I didn't puke. And, you know, because the anorexia would kind of creep in there sometimes too, where it was like, I don't want to be bulimic anymore, so I'm just going to restrict my food intake. So they would just kind of coincide with each other. But then when I finally told Kyle, and bless his heart, and I mean, that yeah. man, like, I've told him everything. But anytime I've told him something that I felt shame about, he's always been the most loving, supportive and in that situation, he was like, huh, 
what do you mean? <laughs> like, he's just like, how is that? He's like, I feel like, am I not an aware person? I'm like, no, I'm just really good at hiding it. How, how did he support you? Because I wonder if people out there listening, you know, might be thoughtful about that. Like, what is my partner going to say? And if there is somebody out there who is supporting, and I also want to emphasize, I think a lot of men out there have eating disorders as well. It's the people that are constantly looking in the mirror, showing off their abs and doing something in order to get more ripped. It's a different, perhaps a different type of dis, mm -hmm. you know, body dysmorphia, but there are people out there that are really, this is a very personal thing. So if a person listening, mm -hmm. if they do suspect that their partner's you know, going through something like this and that conversation does arise, are you able to share maybe a little bit of what was magic about Kyle's special sauce that made it feel so supported? Yeah. So for me, it was more, you know, he was like, how do I support you in this? Like, if you are going to the bathroom, do I need to like check on like, or do you need me to come in with you? Like, you know, what is it that you need from me? And for me, my request was just like, I need help with portion control because I don't want to not eat, but I want to, you know, like I just need help with stopping when I'm eating. Like mostly for me, it was just the telling him that was like a huge breaking point of that whole thing. And then, it, you know, it took a little while to really feel healed from that, but it really came down to just changing my thoughts around food, changing my thoughts around why I'm eating, you know, like really going in with intention every time I ate and saying, is this what my body needs or is this what my body wants? I also read How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy. That was one of the things that he gave me. And reading that was huge for me in just kind of breaking food down, you know, what you're eating and the importance of it. And just in a way that I'd never read before. And because of where I was at in wanting to heal and change, it was what I needed. So there would still be the times that I would lay in bed and, you know, go back through, oh, what did I eat today? I'm going to not eat tomorrow. You know, like it's just anytime you have yeah. emotional yeah. stuff or when life is handing you hard things, that tended to be the thing that I would kind of turned to was the mm. control, you know, it was all like typically with eating disorders. And that's when people think eating disorder, they tend to think anorexia or bulimia, but there's such a range, like what you were saying, you can see a healthy person who looks healthy, but like, what's that person's relationship with food? Is it completely restrictive because I see that too. I know different people that have had eating disorders and they are super restrictive. They eat a very certain way. And to me, this is my own opinion, to me, that's still a form of eating right. disorder. If you have to completely restrict yourself from all these things all the time, or if you, you know, let yourself have a little bit of meat. Yeah then you're just going to fall right, off the wagon. Right. You know what I mean? Like there's still the, how do you look at yourself in the mirror? Like when you eat food, do you hate your body? Do you need to cover your body when your stomach's a little yeah. descended? Because when you're a lean person, typically after you eat, your stomach is going to be a little yeah, protruded. Right. Like you just ate some right. food and that used to freak me out. And now it's like, 
my relationship with food is like what I'd always wanted it to be. You know, I got there, but it took a lot of work. It took a lot of intentional focus on my food when I'm eating what I'm eating. And it did take also a period of time where I just completely removed sugar and things that obviously those aren't bad things to remove, but I wouldn't even leave space for like a special occasion. You know, it was like, I just need to completely remove this until I can come at it in a healthy place. And now I'm in a place where I literally, well, right now I'm doing a cleanse for the first time in like four years with Kyle. We just removed sugar and like most carbs and dairy just because we haven't done like a parasite candida type cleanse in a while. But it's the need for instant, what's the word I'm looking for? Gratification when it comes to bulimia or the feeling of starvation, you know, like it's a control thing. So looking back at when it started for me, there was so much chaos in my home. There was so much that was out of my control. And even though the running and the things were kind of the things that kickstarted it, the continuing with it was completely a control. This is something that nobody else can control over me. This is what I can do yeah. and no one can stop yeah. me. Yeah. And then the bulimia, it's very similar to the same thing. Even though it's like completely out of control, there is still a aspect of control that comes with it. I can eat whatever I want, but I can also still control what stays in my body and what doesn't stay in my body. It's a very yeah. warped yeah. thing. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I think oftentimes people turn to the cult of medicine to help them solve these problems. And, you know, the cult of medicine tells you eat less, exercise more. That's like the extent of their lifestyle modification advice. But I've been where you've been, where even when Stephanie, my wife now, we met when we were 16. We separated when I went to medical school. We were in very, very different places. And we came back together after that. And during that time when I was initially coping with not having this emotional crutch in my life, which is exactly what she was. That was the reason that we needed to be apart. I didn't want to feel the pain or the chaos of what that felt when I was laying down at night. So what did I do? I started running, biking, and swimming, and lifting weights as hard as I possibly could because I could control that pain. I could mm. control my breathing rate. I could control how fast I was going to go in the pool or on the bike or whatever else. What I didn't feel like I had control over was the emotional duress, this turmoil that was going on. And when we talk about a holistic approach to health, people think that I'm a goofball. But if you don't think that there are mental, emotional, and perhaps even spiritual reasons for why you're doing things, you're missing it. You're missing an opportunity here mm -hmm. to really do some really deep healing. And I'm so glad that you found your way in the way that you did. And I also want to say, it's not going to work the same way for everybody. So if somebody is listening right. in and they're hearing your story and they're like, gosh, I'm so inspired. Maybe I want to make some change or... I know that I'm doing this. And perhaps they shut the episode down as soon as they heard the word bulimia because it was too confronting. And that's okay. It may not be the right time. But whenever a person mm -hmm. is starting to invite in the possibility of, let's say, stopping smoking, or in this case, fixing their disordered eating, what would you suggest to somebody? Like, What is the first step that somebody might take in order to start to be nudged onto the path that might lead to lasting vitality physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, et cetera? 
I think the first step needs to be the sharing mm. with yeah. your loved one or with a loved one or whoever feels like they would be the most supportive because it is a very, you know, even when I was anorexic, it was like, if somebody says, oh no, you know, if they're worried about me, oh, you're looking too skinny. It was like, yes, oh, you know, yeah. like it was like a fuel yeah. the fire. But you know, when I started putting weight on, if someone said like, wow, you're looking really healthy. It was like, I'm <sighs> fat, <laughs> you know, like you instantly have these like, oh, you know, healthy means yeah, I'm getting fat yeah, now. And yeah. so it's like, there's no winning with that. Like, so what I can say about this too is if you know somebody who clearly suffers from an eating disorder Commenting on the weight is yeah. never a good thing, especially as they start to get healthy. It's better to just not even acknowledge anything about the weight. But as far as like for anyone who is struggling, the sharing, admitting, it's the acknowledging because you know, but saying it out loud to somebody else is huge. And that alone will bring a lot of healing, a lot of breakthrough, and also gives you an opportunity to have somebody if you want. I'm a person who likes to be held accountable. Yeah. I like that. I like holding right. Kyle accountable and I like him <laughs> holding me accountable. He doesn't ask me to hold him accountable. I just do because <laughs> that's what a good wife does, he right? He appreciates it. He has told me that. He's told me about your accountability. Yeah. No, he's told me. <laughs> Well, he'll say like, oh, I'm not going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then if I see him, I'm like, hey, I thought you said <laughs> hey, you weren't going to blah, blah, blah. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, the journaling was really helpful. I think really trying to find the thing, find the area or pinpoint when it started. Pinpoint when those thoughts started coming in. And then just trying to like... Some journaling about that time in your life, what was going on, what was the thing that made you need this sense of yeah. control? Because it's a yeah. control thing. But it is different for everybody. So like me sharing my story and what I've done to heal from it, some people might need to go even further and see a professional, yeah. you know, seek out somebody like yourself who knows about a woman's health and really just anyone, man or woman's health, but if it's women we're talking to, that was also a big thing that I started thinking about after reading How to Move and Be Healthy was what damage have mm. I done mm. internally to myself? Because, you know, there's a long list of things that they say from bulimia or anorexia, what those things can cause. And I was nervous that I wasn't going to be able to have children after dealing with those things for so long. And, you know, if your partner, if someone's partner isn't the person that they would talk to, there's best friends, there's mom, there's, you know, like seeking out someone to share. And that's the yeah. hardest part. Yeah. You have to want it. You have to want to stop because otherwise you won't. It has to be when the person is ready. And then, yeah, like I said, journaling finding that little, you know, origin seed when that was planted. And then just intentionally, it's going to feel exhausting. It was exhausting for a long time having to rewire my thinking around yeah. food, how I felt after eating food, taking control of my thoughts if I did decide to eat something bad 
and not allowing myself to spiral and hate myself, you know, like it was a huge process and, but very much worth it. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add as like a final, final thing to that list that remember the goal here is not perfection. None of us are perfect for people who think they're perfect. They're like imperfectly perfect. (laughs) There is like the 80, 20 rule. This is really a matter of reclaiming your health and what this really means from a women's health perspective, a fertility perspective, a longevity perspective, a performance perspective. There's so many reasons. Find a good reason for you. Find somebody who's supportive. And remember, the goal is not to be perfect. In fact, I would even venture to say, Mm -hmm. given what you've told me, that you're not completely out of the weeds. You know, this is a bit of a part of the hardwiring that you've had to undo. It's still an ongoing conversation with yourself. And I think it is very helpful to have people like Kyle in your life who are you love them in such a way, you have a relationship in such a way where they can hold space for this process because it's just another process. It's a work in process. So I appreciate you sharing so much. I know this is very a very vulnerable topic and I am so delighted that I have a person in my life like you who's willing to come on and talk about this because it is coming up quite a bit in my practice now and amongst some friends and family. And I got to say, I don't know if there's a ton of resources out there that's like a one size fits all. So hopefully somebody's able to take some gems, some nuggets from this conversation. And maybe even 10 years later, when they do decide to make the change, they can go back to it and listen with fresh ears and maybe a more open heart. Anything you want to add, Tosh? This has been a really nice conversation. Yeah, I think also, you know, if there are children, if anyone's suffering from this that has children, Use that as motivation, if for nothing else, to get healthy because our children are watching us. They're watching our habits. They're watching our relationship with food. They're watching everything. And that was a huge call to action for me too was like wanting to have children but knowing like I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to be like this when I have children so like that was even before that was like literally right before mm. Bear was born that like not right before but maybe like in that year wow. before so yeah, kind of right yeah. before or no maybe a little bit before that I don't know the timing you're at I'm on a cleanse <laughs> right now I can't remember I my can't days. be held accountable for what I <laughs> I'm say <a> little foggy. <laughs> <laughs> I just know that like I was super healthy I remember when I got pregnant with him I remember thinking when I was pregnant with him like I'm so happy that yeah. I can eat food and grow this baby without feeling terrified about my body. Like I loved my mm. pregnant body, you know, like gaining weight, like it wasn't an issue. And I could only imagine how terrifying that would have been had I still been in just that type of a mindset. But I think we talk, you hear the generational breaking the generational curses and you know there's lots of different language that has that same effect but it's real yeah it really is real so like my mom dealt with anorexia i dealt with anorexia my children Mm. will not Mm -hmm. you know like that ends here that ended here and that to me is the most important thing is that my daughter, my son, like they are growing up with a healthy relationship with food. Like I don't, I'm not the, you know, oh, like ruling with an iron fist. You're never, we were just at a birthday party and she served crappy pizza and crappy store-bought <laughs> cake and both of them yeah. had it. Like 
when we're at a birthday party, enjoy the yeah. birthday party. I'm not going to be that mom who's like, you can never eat these things <laughs> ever. Gluten. Ah. You don't guilt trip them or anything. Like you save these things for a special occasion yeah. every now and then. And then listen to see how your body feels later. Like just notice anything. If anything feels different, if whatever. So just that alone for anybody that might have children, like do it for yourself, obviously, but also do it for your children or your future yeah. children. Like it matters mm. and it is possible. Full recovery healing from it is possible. I can attest to that. And it's miserable being in that place. I can remember everything that I felt, everything that I went through and the exhaustion of it. It's so exhausting. Mm. But full healing, full recovery yeah. is definitely possible. Thank you so much, Miss Kingsbury. I didn't know your maiden name was, was it Wick or Wicks? Wicks. Wicks. Well, I appreciate you so much coming on to the show again. And we'll send people your way if they have questions. I'm sure you'd be open to pointing them in the right direction if they had anything specific. So thank you again. And I'll be seeing you soon in Austin. Awesome. Thank you, Nathan. Love you. Love you. Thank you so much. Eating disorders, these types of things, including other issues like C-sections and miscarriage and pregnancy loss, all these things, like we can't make any difference in the world if we're not able to talk about this in a compassionate, respectful way. I think Tosh does this better than most. So you can find Tosh and her husband, Kyle, at Living with the Kingsburys on Instagram. I'm sure she would be very, very happy to chat with you if anything today resonated. Tosh, thank you so much for being so gracious with your time. You guys, remember, nothing on this show is medical advice. If you want medical advice, go find me at BelovedHolistics.com. You can join my private contract association, after which you'll be directed to a menu of services where you can book consults, buy packages. I've also got my PRP fertility program. PRP stands for Patience, Reverence, and Presence. All of that is available at BelovedHolistics.com. If you want to support the show, there's three ways. One, keep sharing the episodes with people. The more people that hear these conversations, the more listens we get, the happier everybody is. We rise in the rankings. Another great way to support it is to go to Apple Podcasts on your supercomputer in your pocket and go to my podcast, The Holistic OBGYN, leave a review. It takes 15 seconds to hit five stars. And you wouldn't believe how much these little ratings matter for the success of any podcast that you love, including Kyle's show, the Kyle Kingsbury podcast, Paul Check's show, Living 4D. We've got Chase and Mimi over at the Medicine Podcast. These are all of the shows that are a part of my daily life. I've got some others that are a little bit more esoteric, so to speak, but those are three of my truly favorite podcasts. Leave us reviews. I mean, leaving a review on a podcast that has given you some insight or provided you some clarity, it really means the world to a podcast host like myself. And then the last way, of course, is to support our sponsors. We've got BirthFit. Go to birthfit.com, use code BELOVED. You will get one month free in the B community. Full Well Fertility, hands down, the best prenatal vitamins on the market. They also make incredible fish oil, men's virility vitamins, a nourish nerve tonic to help you balance out your nervous system. Ayla Barmer started this company. She is a registered dietitian. She has overseen the creation of the products, the entire manufacturing process to make sure that you're not getting junk, you're not getting crap, food dyes, additives, that type of stuff. You're just getting the nutrition you need to ensure that you are nutrient replete 
in and after pregnancy. So go to fullwellfertility.com, use code BELOVED10, you'll save 10%. This episode was also brought to you by Bioptimizers. Bioptimizers owned by Wade Lightheart, a good friend of mine, a fellow Paul Czech tribal community member. <laughs> you can go to bioptimizers.com slash holistic and try their products, guys. You're going to get an extra 15% off of the regular 10% with code BELOVED on everything from magnesium breakthrough to blood sugar breakthrough, mass symes or P3M, all products that I use on a regular basis in our household. And last but not least, Organifi. My man Drew has put together the most incredible product lineup for just a few more weeks. At the time of this episode airing, you'll be able to try their pumpkin spice latte, which in Drew's words, it's like a marshmallow and Autumn had a baby. You get turmeric, which is loaded with curcumin, powerful antioxidant, allspice, clove, and nutmeg to give you some of the season's greetings this time around. Thanksgiving's coming up. This is an incredibly great, delicious alternative to the heavy, sugar-laden, gluten-laden desserts that are floating around. So you might just say, hey, there's power in saying no to the dessert. I will instead blend my pumpkin spice latte, a scoop of that up with whole fat organic coconut milk and uh, some hot water, and that'll be my dessert tonight. And it does taste like a dessert. It's so good. It's also so good for you. In addition to the turmeric, you've got lemon ball, reishi mushroom, turkey tail mushroom, ginger, there's some coconut milk added with Ceylon cinnamon. There's some magnesium, black pepper, acacia. There, It is loaded with goodness. So go to Organifi.com slash Beloved or use code Beloved. You'll save 20% on your purchase. Can't recommend this company enough. All of the details of the sponsors, in case you want to learn more, will be available along with the show notes at BelovedHolistics.com slash podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, considerations, please forward them to me. I love hearing from you guys. Find me on Instagram at Nathan Riley OBGYN. I'm also on Twitter and TikTok. So I guess that does it for this episode. Next week on the 30th, just after Thanksgiving, you're going to hear from Keisha Lockett, who is a black doula living in the Atlanta area. And we talk all about supporting black women through pregnancy and childbirth. She's a powerful doula, very, very powerful voice in the space. So I can't wait for you to hear from her. I will see you guys all in a week back here at the Holistic of a Joanne podcast. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.